Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Do you dream of being CEO of your own empire, running your own company, achieving your life's goals, yet wake up in a cold sweat next to last night's takeout leftovers and a pile of bus ticket stubs? You are not alone. Like many others, you are suffering from a classic case of caviar dreams, tuna fish budget. I'm Margaret Josephs. And I'm Lexi Barbuto. And every week, we'll be talking to influencers, trailblazers, disruptors, and risk takers who'll share their own journey to caviar dreams on a tuna fish budget. Side effects may include increased motivation, boundless happiness, and a fast track to success. Hello, caviar dreamers. Hi, caviar dreamers. Oh, should I say buongiorno, caviar dreamers? Yes, we have an amazing <laughs> Italian woman coming on today. Maria Gangemi. Maria Gangemi. Gangemi. She has an amazing footwear line. And she'll probably be totally offended at our appalling Italian accents. I mean, listen, I'm married to an Italian, but he does, I probably speak better Italian than he does at this point. <laughs> I am also married to an Italian. And he doesn't really speak any Italian, even though his mother is right up the boat and speaks fluently. Right. Maria has an amazing footwear company, because what are Italians known for? Pasta and amazing leather goods. Those are passions of ours, pasta and shoes. Yeah, pasta and shoes. She's I mean, a huge passion of ours. Exactly. What's and better than wearing high heels and eating spaghetti naked? Absolutely nothing. 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 Oh, Chamberlain's feel around today. I know. Really feeling it. So My, excited. M. Jemmy really changed the game. They came out at a time when everyone was doing fast fashion with these really fabulous luxury staples at affordable prices and an online business model. My favorite shoes are from that. I love you in those shoes. And I always ask them, like, Lexi, what shoes is it? They're my M. Jemmy's. Can't wait just to meet her and hear all about her company. Hi, Maria. Hi, Maria. How are you? So excited to have you on. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Selfishly, I just want to say, uh, first of all, my favorite shoe in the entire world that I cannot live without is the Cameo Pump. Oh, that's so wonderful. I I know. Lexi Lexi dies for it. I don't have that one, but I am going to. is, Is it coming back? Well, we have the Asato family, so it's 90 millimeters. We are, we've been talking a lot about bringing back the 110 millimeters. I need 110. I need 110 because I'm a very high heel wearer. That's great. I, I think that for some women, it's a little bit challenging to wear it all day long, but for others, a few fabulous hours is enough. So I think that it's definitely something that I have to look at. I'm so glad you like it. And yes. Cherish mine. 
Mine goes to the shoemaker all the time because I am afraid that it will wear out because no shoe that hides as comfortable as that shoe. Very important to me is that they look beautiful, but they feel as good as they can, especially for some, you know, a pointed toe and that heel high. That was one of the big challenges. And we took a lot of time to make sure that they could be as comfortable as possible. So I'm so glad to hear that. That's I think one thing is to look beautiful and I love that they felt great too. So that's Maria Ganjami, so, <laughs> so sexy. So excited to have you on here. Amazing shoe designer, boss babe, um, designer of Lexi's most favorite pair of shoes ever. That's correct. Uh, it's like an affordable luxury because to be honest, they're the most luxurious shoes out there. And, and they're affordable for a luxury shoe, which I say. And, but you've had such an illustrious career and you're, you know, you're Italian and glamorous. So everything about you. So I just want, you know, people, because you're very inspiring. Your story is very inspiring because you reinvented yourself in 2014 after having a very big career and, and went into starting a new business, a shoe business and broke into an industry, you know, that some people could call saturated. Yes. And, and became successful in it. And uh, that's what I find so impressive, right, Lex? Yes, for sure. So tell us a little bit about um, your career before MGEMI. Well, I had um, a career in really as a buyer, basically. So I, I went to school to be an art history and economics major. But on my trip back, I was in Milan because I would go back to Italy frequently. I immigrated to the United States when I was five, but I had lots of friends and family still there. So I wanted to spend the summer after graduating being in Italy and I went to Milan. I stayed a little bit longer, so I needed to do something to, to finance my extended stay. So I worked for Jenny Manufacturing Corporation at a show. Like it was during, you know, one of the shows in Milan. And what I was basically a gopher, getting the models ready, making coffee for people, getting coffee upstairs. And I had met so many interesting people from at the time, Saks and Neiman's and all these interesting buyers that were, you know, from the States. And I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. I, want, I wonder if I should be a merchant, a buyer. So when I went back to the United States, I decided to go to the training program at Federated. So I was accepted there and I started working at Filene's. This is the upstairs Filene's. It was like a Bloomingdale's type of thing. So I went through the executive training program, became a buyer, an assistant buyer, and then I became creative director in footwear and accessories. Ooh. My passion. I had loved it. And it brought me to Italy, which was kind of a, a lifelong dream. I had met so many wonderful artisans. You know, we would go back to Italy frequently with my family to visit my grandparents, to visit my relatives. And one of my favorite memories was the little shops that you would find on the, off the cobblestone street in every little town. There'd be a few shoe stores, a few handbag stores, and you got to meet the artisans. That memory always stayed with me, how beautiful the things were that they made. And so it brought me back to that. And we did a federated some private label, um, which we built in, in Italy. So that was my first foyer into developing footwear product in Italy. From there though, I, I took a position as creative director at Nine West for Vince Camuto. I met him, he was so inspiring. He was like one of my mentors. Like they built such an amazing company and a small portion of what he did was still in Italy. So I was able to do that for a while. This was in the 90s. In the 90s. In the 90s. Yes, I was a vice president creative director at, at Nine West Group. 
was an incredible opportunity. He was amazing, was a large company, and it was a really great move in terms of my career. And I really loved it in terms of like being able to work with such, you know, a large brand, you know, being able to create footwear um, that was, you know, for many people, for the masses in general, it was like in the eight, it was a opening price point, $80, $90 at the time. Yeah, and um, it was great fashion yeah. for a great a, a price it point. Great value. So I, the, it was a great value. It brought me to places I'd never seen because we were developing product in Brazil. I went to Nuva and Virgo. I learned so much about the actual manufacturing part of things. You know, it was great experience. But as they continued to move away from anything that they were doing in Italy, my heart always kind of stayed there. I knew that there was more that I wanted to be able to do there because it was so different. You know, there it was very small in terms of in Italy, you would go into a workshop. I remember my first experience there. You would walk in and the mother is at the sewing machine. The grandfather is on the conveyor belt, a little tax in his mouth, lasting things, you know, and creating these beautiful shoes made out of the most exquisite materials. And we were moving away from that. But I did it for a long time. It was an amazing experience for me. I really felt that I grew and knew more about the business aspect of things. Really taught me all of that, dealing with the, the, the buying, you know, with all the key buyers in the United States. They did a big business with Macy's, with all, the, with all of the department stores. It gave me great training and a great background for in, in business. You know, it was very different than the experience I had had before. So I felt that I was continuing to grow. I did that for quite some time. And then everything had started to shift to China, which was amazing. My first five or six trips to China were so inspiring. I'd never seen anything. I'd never been to Hong Kong. Where was like, when you went to China, were you like, did you feel like, oh my God, were they getting their leather from Italy? Where were they getting their leather from? Because, you know, a lot of people have misconceptions about China. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that early on, they were not. This was really early. They did later. But at the beginning, it was more from... Uh, they were uh, delivering a lot from Brazil, Pakistan, in, you know, India, other places. And eventually, as they continued, because this was at the beginning, as they continued to elevate what they were doing, because it was more and more was being imported from Italy there, the materials, the leather, but that came a little bit later. Um, at the beginning, it was more from South America and from Pakistan that they were receiving the skins that they were working with there. And so it was quite different. And a lot of the product too early on was made in with polyurethane, you know, like with non, you know, leathers. So that was the, another part of the business that really changed. But they've evolved quite a bit. You know, it, it was interesting, um, but it was at a much larger scale. It was, it was large production, like 5,000 people could work in one of those uh, factories. You know, it was a different process really stimulating, great, you know, to learn from all of that. But uh, I was still trying to figure out a way that I would get back to Italy somehow. A lot of what I did was really preparing me to understand the business aspect and to understand the, the, the whole process development and manufacturing. And so it was great learnings. I learned so much from that whole experience and loving learning what customers wanted too. Because when you're dealing with that type of volume, really when you're developing product you have to be right on because you're making hundreds of thousands of pairs so it really was great a great challenge and a great school for me in, in a sense so that's what led me then a little bit later after my 30th trip to china <laughs> <laughs>
I felt that, okay, this was amazing. Now what? So I met um, with Ben Fishman, who was the co-founder, or who was going to be starting, who's founded Rulala. Yes. Really intriguing to me. And that's where I met my partner, also Cheryl. So what happened is he, we, dis- we were discussing this whole new idea because before then, um, this was in 2006 and seven when we started having this conversation, there was very little bought online. It was eBay. There was a little bit of Zappos, I think was really starting at the time, but it was nothing like it is today. So he said, we're going to start these boutiques that open up every day, you know, and, and, and it's going to be luxury and it's going to be this beautiful walled, you know, boutiques that open and we want wonderful product. You're Italian. Go and find us some Italian product that we can work with. Yes. And I was so fascinated by this because I was thinking you could be at home and shop, you know, but beautiful because this was an elevated, this wasn't like a flea market type of thing. These were beautiful boutiques with all the brands that, you know, that you could possibly desire opening from a limited time, um, their, their doors so that you could shop. And it was really amazing. And it was perfect timing, 2007, 2008, because as you know, there was a crisis. So the timing couldn't have been better. There was a lot of merchandise available. So we were able to open so many doors because people needed uh, a beautiful, elegant way to really move through products. So that was the beginning of Rulala and that whole flash sale, limited time exposure. But not only was it intriguing from a business aspect, but all the theater that you could create. And what was fascinating to me, because people say, oh, you work at Rulala, I can't believe it. I, I'm there at 11 o'clock waiting to get on. Like the theater that I created, they felt like they won something when they got on at 11 o'clock. Yes, it's so, true. Yeah. It was fascinating. That whole aspect of it, I found really intriguing. But the other thing that was a big takeaway and learning for me also was not only did we do well-known brands, because that was key at the beginning, but we also did and explored with contemporary new brands that didn't have other exposure. And I remember the next day, it was Hot Hippie, you know, like that. We, I had done a boutique and it was really new at the time. And she said I can't believe what happened after your boutique sold out. Our website crashed. You know, like so they went on Hot Hippie after yeah. that. I forgot. I forgot about yeah. Hot Hippie. Oh, I loved. I used to Hippie. love it. I forgot. Are they still around? I I haven't seen anything around from them recently. I loved all this silk and you know the silk dresses with the cashmere sweaters that like I know I used yeah. to buy a lot of Hot Hippie. I forgot about Hot Hippie. So then oh after Rulala. You, you were finally like, I have to do my own shoe collection. I had my own ideas. Like, how do I take all, you know, the people you meet in your journey? You know how it's always very personal. When, yes. When, God, like many entrepreneurs, it's something, it's my personal journey in a sense. I had met, I had had the pleasure of meeting all these amazing artisans. Like Norena, I was in Montecatini one day shopping because I had been to um, Forte di Marmi and we went to Montecatini to visit and I went into this little shop and met Marina. She had the most beautiful handcrafted um, true driving moccasins. That's where I met her and she invited me up to her boutique, her little boutique type of um, workshop. I can't even call it, it's not a factory, they're workshops. She works alongside five women who hand stitch um, she's been doing this for 36 years and she invited me and I felt that I had to go to see how she did this, to see how they were made. 
And that always stayed with me. And I'm like thinking, now that I understood the power of going to direct consumer, like how can we showcase these amazing artisans that I've had the pleasure of meeting in my personal journey and work with them to build a collection of footwear. And the other thing that kind of was really intriguing to me at the time was when you went shopping and I love beautiful handmade shoes, I used to come back with things from Italy and they were beautifully made. They were unique. I had the only pair. That's what I thought was so special about it. And they were not inexpensive, but they were attainable. And then, so if I, if I went shopping in the States to buy a beautiful pair of women's shoes, it came 600, 700. Shoes have gotten over the top. Insane. I just bought, and listen, I love Tom Ford, but I just bought a pair of shoes for reunion. I mean, it's, it's the price of someone's rent. Yeah. When, when did that become acceptable? It, it didn't. <laughs> And it, it, it became so unobtainable for most. Yeah, it's not it's not attainable for, for everyone. And you want to own a good pair of shoes, and it's mm -hmm. and it's not attainable. So it's gotten absolutely ridiculous. So w was that one of your goals to do something luxurious but attainable? I wanted everyone to have someone uh, something that was beautifully made, handcrafted with these small workshops. Because one of the things that I felt was really important is that. As a woman, I want to be able to buy what I need at a specific time. Like what the few things that were really important, completely handmade leather. That was really important to me. I wanted leather lining, leather soles, leather uppers, which fewer and fewer shoes mm -hmm. that weren't 800 to $1,000 were not made that way any longer. So I wanted to make it more attainable. That was definitely one of the key things. And the way to do that would be to go direct to consumer, not, not the wholesale process, because then the markups become very complex because when you, we, I wanted to work in the best workshops. So in order to do that, I could not then wholesale. So it was important and key that in this process that when we developed our business, that we were going to go direct to consumer, that we were going to be offering our collection directly to the, to the person buying, not through a, a second party. And that would, made the big difference having had that experience that we had had at Rue, knowing that we could create a beautiful environment to showcase these artisans what was what was key and then the next step obviously was um determining the type of footwear and being a woman i wanted to be able to have a full lifestyle brand because we thought you know a lot of people said oh why did you have so many different categories because we make the beautiful pumps like the cameo that we refer to but one of the first things that we did was the driving moccasin. And also, I wanted to have, I know that women today, real women are so busy. They're running around doing errands where they need a driving shoe or, or a fashion sneaker so that they're comfortable and casual. Then they want that perfect pump that they can wear like you do, Leslie, every day. And then the other aspect was that I wanted to have the perfect flat sandals. So we knew we wanted a lifestyle, um, every category. So yes. that was one of the challenging things that we did from the beginning. Little did I know uh, in terms of all the work that it would be because of the things that you were just saying, because fit was so important to us. We wanted to make sure that aspect was incorporated into everything that we did. But somehow after many sleepless nights, because I think that Cheryl, my partner would tell you, that's the thing that we think about the most is making sure that it's not only beautiful, but that it fits really well. So I just want to ask you, but that's all different artisans. 
Okay. Because the person who make the person who makes the perfect moccasin is not making the perfect pump. Mm, that's absolutely correct. So we spent months. I, I visited hundreds of people because we wanted specialists in each category. So for example, the person who makes the beautiful pumps is in Naples, Giovanni and Pasquale. Their great grandparents started their workshop in 1926 and their daughters are gonna be fifth generation and all they've made is perfect pumps. Even though it looks like the simplest because it's very clean, it's the hardest thing to make because everything has to be perfect or you see it when something is so clean. You know, and we decided to work with him because they were perfectionists. Very few people make a heel that high that doesn't have a seam. You know, if you look at it, it's seamless. There's just stitching in the back. When you look at the toe, you can see the lines from the last. The way the curve is, you know, that beautiful curve that goes from the heel, you know, to the curve of the last. Yes. They were perfectionists. So that's what we looked for and referred to it as we graded people. Like we only wanted to work with A+. So people who worked with luxury brands and also with the best suppliers. Because if you're, if you're working with workshops, because even in Italy, there's different levels. You know, there's, you know, people who make shoes for the highest brands and medium brands and lower. We wanted to work with A-plus, you know, type of workshops. So we studied it and we determined to put the team together that we did. So um, the specialist in each category, you're absolutely right. You understand that perfectly because that's all they make. So Norina, who was the person in Montecatini, only <laughs> makes hand-sewn moccasins. That's her specialty. Did you have to get foot models or they had the standard? Or we developed our own because that was such an important aspect of what we did. We wanted our standard. So Pamela, she is a size 37. We, we used European last. That was really important to me as well. Um, but we had a standard and we wanted it to be medium. We needed to make sure like the, the type of width, the medium width of the instep, all of that so that there's consistency and there's one standard that we go by. So she tries on every single pair of shoes that we make, you know, and she, she's the 37 standard. I'm the 40 and Elisa uh -huh. is the 39. So before anything goes into production, first we confirm it on her because the sample size is a 37. That's where you start. Then everything is graded and commercialized. And once it's commercialized, we have a, a standard for the 39 and 40. Once that is complete, then we move forward. So there's a lot of work that goes in from the design aspect to the commercialization and then finally to the production aspect. What we determined, what was really important to me too, is that people have that feeling of having something special. We do very limited batches. We do go back and make like some of what I call my essentials, like the cameo, the asato, those type of uh, styles of the moccasins, but we also introduce new things. But what we do is we make limited batches and then we place reorders. So we're designing, sampling, and shipping every week. Every Friday we ship from our warehouse in Plato, Italy, which is in Tuscany. I think what's so interesting is like in 2014, when MGMI came along, the footwear industry was making a lot of fast fashion, very disposable shoes and, you know, limiting the sizes, no half sizes, not very size inclusive. And it was really like fast throwaway fashion and doing something so, obviously it's not simple technically, but coming along with such a 
clean, simple aesthetic was so refreshing. Was that deliberate or was that just? No, all of the things I thought about, all of that, it's so interesting that you picked up on that. I had noticed that I was surrounded by people who really, whether it was food, farm to table, whether it was a farm or something, people were starting to really care about where things were made and how they were made. And I noticed that in many, everything, everyday things, and that it was, there was a move and an intentional um, focus on sustainability. You know, that people wanted to eat better. They wanted to know where their foods were coming from, where the products were coming from. And I thought that, that it was the right timing because people wanted to know that everything that they were buying was made ethically, you know, like, and sustainability was really important. And that's what I, one of the things, the premises that I thought it was the right timing for all that, because I could see people thinking in that way, that what we were doing and what we wanted to do is the limited batches, you know, not making excess, you know, inventory, really focusing on perfecting everyday essentials and made in small, with small artisans that they could get to know through us, um, that that would be really important to them because I think that this whole plastic, throw it away, it's $50, who cares? Uh, I think young people, everyone is moving away from that. I think that people would much rather make an investment in something beautifully made that they'll be wearing for years and learning to take care of it. Because I'm so glad that you go to the cobbler because that's really important. Like a lot of people who, you know, this is was really interesting finding too. We were some, for some people, the first time that they had bought shoes with all leather you know, because they, they didn't have access to it before, you know, the leather sole and all of that, because in the past, they probably you, you worn things that had plastic bottoms, you know, in a sense, you know, the synthetic, so they would last forever. So when they bought their first pair of leather shoes with leather soles, they had to learn to take care of it and make sure that, it, you know, it was protected and that it would last, you know, replacing the heel tab when they needed, you know, replacing the little tab on the front and taking care of their beautifully made product. But it was very intentional. I thought it was the right time. I thought people wanted to invest in quality and have timeless, beautiful product. We did want to modernize it. I don't want to say that we don't make things that are on trend. Like, for example, like we'll make the Feliz, which is our moccasin, but I always pay attention to what is happening. Like I wanted to make sure like this season, my favorite color is the green, like that jewel green because you know, a lot of us are just wearing black or white and it's great to have fresh new color like a, a lavender or a jewel green. So we're always paying attention to trend in that way. What are some of your pet peeves? I mean, obviously when you, when you see people, you look at their shoes. <laughs> <laughs> when they don't take care of them. They're really I'm the same way, I have a rubric. Mm -hmm. so they have a beautiful shoe on and then the heel tab is worn down and they're you know, hard. crooked. Hard, they're crooked or when you know they don't take the time to do that or when they don't take the time to just clean it it just drives me crazy the white bottom sneakers when they don't take a, a mr eraser and clean it you know it's really taking pride like they've made an incredible investment and it's just when that's one of my pet peeves i really i want people to understand if they take care of them they can look beautiful forever and how important is a good shoemaker like a good color I mean Best friend, I have him on speed dial, Peter, from Mob and Shoe. What, who is the shoemaker in the city? This was in, in, in Newton, where I used to live. The cobbler should be your best friend. If you're going to invest in beautiful shoes, 
I think that you have to take care of them. That's one of my biggest pet peeves, having people like not walk around like that. And I, in New York, I see it all the time. Any, any major city, Milan, I see that often and it just drives me crazy. It's, it's really funny. When I used to live in the city, a cobbler was on my street and he was my best friend. And he, I would go in on a Monday with my shoes from a Saturday. And he'd say, you were in the meatpacking last night because the chips in my heels. And now I live in New Jersey. And the best thing about moving to New Jersey was his brother opened a shoe repair across the street. So I kept it in the family. And they've been cobblers for, I mean, a million generations. And it is so important. And, you know, I've had like the same pair of boots, like the heel rewrapped a thousand times. It's funny. It's like an old fashioned thing. Like my dad always had a shoe polish and a shoe brush. And I just don't see them sold in CVS. We need to bring back taking care of your shoes. I agree because I can't stand when people have been. I have a rage with bad shoes. That oh, wasn't yeah. my husband when I met him. And he's Italian. I'm shocked. He like two good pairs of shoes, but he was like work boots and this and that. I buy him beautiful, expensive shoes. But then he wears his beautiful, expensive shoes like through the mud. I'm like, Joe, what are you doing? You have beautiful suede driving shoes. And he... And he beats the crap. I go berserk. I mean, berserk. I almost start crying. I take very good care of my shoes. It's and, I, and I get so, I judge people by their shoes. I do too. It's a terrible thing, but I do. I you cannot like have bad, cheap shoes. It makes me absolutely nuts. You have to have good quality shoes. Yes. It, it drives me absolutely quality, crazy. not quantity. Yes. And, and I say that, what about like when you have pointy toes and the little toe is like crooked and like. Terrible. Oh. When it's peeling back, it you know a lot of people don't know that all of that can be repaired. That's the other thing too. That you know, a good cobbler can take care of all that. You know, when you have a little bit of peeling on the heel or the toe, all of that can be addressed with a good cobbler, and they'll continue to look beautiful. So I have no idea, you know, why people continue to do that. So what was a shoe trend that you were just repulsed by? Crocs. Ah, oh. oh, me too. By the way, the pediatrician will tell you. The majority of accidents in children, broken bones, come from kids wearing Crocs. So not only are they disgusting, they are dangerous. And then they came out with high heel Crocs. Oh. Who in their right mind? I know that, you know, it's a huge business, but I've never been able to accept it. I just think it's so unflattering. I don't think it looks cute. I don't think it looks attractive, but you know, that's one of the trends that I've never really understood. I had a very upsetting trip through, um, Nordstrom shoe department recently because not to mention all the clunky sneakers which I am not a fan of they I think it's Balenciaga now did a high-heeled stiletto rock again they did a collaboration with them yeah well that's disgraceful turned my stomach disgraceful disgraceful so tell me so you're doing the different fashion colors I love that you keep it classic You've maintained your price points. You you sell direct. Tell me what what is what is next? Would you ever go into any other products? Do you want to go into other leather goods? Tell me what is it, what's next for you? We've started a little bit of handbags because during COVID, I had the pleasure of being introduced to Angelo, um, who has a workshop in Abruzzi. Because I love it. Everybody, all these little towns and yes, and um, and he made such beautiful things and and. 
during COVID, what had happened is he got a lot of cancellations and a friend of ours introduced us via Zoom, can you imagine this, saying that, oh, can you do anything with him? He really, his, his parents started the business and now he's there working alongside his daughter. Is there anything that you can do? So you know how I said, of course, I'll talk to him. I'll, you know, I, I'm not sure what we're going to be able to do at this time, you know, because it's counterintuitive. Here we are in lockdown and COVID and, you know, and I'm being introduced to someone to start in a new category. But I was so engaged. You know how you meet someone and you know how talented they are and how much it means to them. And he's like, I have to continue on. There's no way during my reign here, like running this family business that I'm not going to move forward, you know, because they had gotten cancellations, you know, during that time. It was really heartbreaking. So he said, let's do a few things together. So we decided I was at home and I'm like, what do I need? Like, you know, like, how does this work, you know, in this strange timing? But he impressed me so much and the quality of the samples, you know, he sent me things, you know, in FedEx. He made some beautiful things. So we started doing some handbags with a purpose. Like I, we did a tote that was like my carry-all bag. And what I mean by that is I put, I was at home and moving around because everything became like at home. All of us were working from home, but sometimes I would be at my desk and then I'd want to go move to the balcony or something. Cause you know, you're sitting on zoom calls all day. So we built a carry-all tote where I could put my computer, my water, my notebook, the sample that I was working on and kind of move to the next destination. Yes. We started, we started a small collection, which did surprisingly well. We launched it um, soon after they reopened um, in Italy. And I would love to expand in leather goods because it's perfect, you know, like with the type of materials that we're using already, the tanneries that we have great relationship with. I would love to expand in that. I, I just think it's a natural, you know, next step to continue to work in that, in that category. I'd like to bring more of all the beautiful luxuries you find in Italy. So step by step, I, it's just, you know, things are finally really feeling good. You know, like this, this kind of um, reunion now, you know, like I'm starting to go back to Italy so we can do more together. So as things continue to open up, I, I'd like to experiment with many more things. I love that, especially with like handbags, because I feel like handbags, again, got so design-driven, A, the crazy expensive, but B, so design-driven too, that when you really need, like, you know, like sometimes you just need a great crisp white shirt, when you need like just a really good simple clutch, you go through all your stuff and you're like, oh my God, everything has tassels, spangles, studs, I want to wear diamond, but it's, you know, a gold hardware, so just something simple, clean would be so great, like the staples of handbags. Because I think it's very similar to footwear, like there's the five essentials, I always call them, that you want just beautifully made. You know, you want a modern take on them, whether it's color or material and comfortability. But I think the same with handbags, like you said, the perfect tote, the perfect clutch, a little crossbody so that you can run around and have your hands free if you're, you know, running errands. I completely agree with that philosophy, you know, that it's, it's great. And they're, when they're beautiful lines and materials, that's all that you need to make the statement. You know, all the other, it kind of takes away, it depends like um, on your mood. Obviously sometimes it is great to have all that spangle and all of that. Yes. So most days I, I like things that are clean, modern, but you know, in a sense of reinterpretation of a classic, you know, cause those can be your go-to. And you know, and every woman's closet should have those essentials. It just makes it so easy because we're so busy. I, and one of the things that I always keep saying is 
I'm always thinking about real women because they're so, we're, it's so complex. We work, we're taking care of children, we're taking care of family. We're, we're still doing so many things each and every day. So the simpler we can make things. And I, I think that it's, that is what is really important to a lot of women today is that we simplify things that she has her go-tos that can make it easy for her to look great and feel great as she goes out the door. Oh, I agree. I know. So tell me, you know, everybody who comes on the podcast, we ask them a few key questions. What do you think in your career was your defining moment, your big girl panty moment? Like this is my sink or swim. I can remember the exact day. I came back from Italy. I was in Milan uh, and came back on February 19th. Three days later, Federica from my office in Las Vecinas called me to tell me that people were dying in Lombardia, closing down, um, you know, it, for COVID. We didn't even really know what it was. She said, I don't know what's happening. You know, you're so lucky you didn't go to Milan for that show because Lombardia. Yeah, and, um, and it was, we didn't know what to do. And then a few days later, all of our workshops were closing down because we make everything in Italy. So all of these workshops were closed. And at first we're like, okay, we can deal with this because we, as I had mentioned, we design and make things every week. So this was March, all of my spring shoes hadn't been delivered. You know, like there, they were, a lot of things were cut and stitched. Some were almost ready, you know, and some, you know, cause we deliver things as we think they're needed. So everything closed down. And then we were told first it was two weeks. So we're like, okay, we can get through this. Then it happened two more weeks and then yes. so trying to work with everyone all of my partners and keep everyone um you know calm you know that was really important because remember this is not a job to them this is their whole life yes of course they got cancellations from people via email that some of their clients just canceled the order via email like what are we going to do so i i felt that it was so important to stay with them and have them understand that they had my support that somehow together we were going to figure this out i didn't know how but somehow we were going to figure this out together and so in every few weeks we'd have to change strategy but it was really important what i learned so much is okay how are we going to get through this together keep talking not like i think some people run away because they're very difficult decisions that have to be made in a crisis that no one has ever dealt with but communicating with them and staying close to them we decided okay the things that are cut and stitched let's try to pre-sell them on the site you know and then when we reopen we can ship them you know like so we did things like that we made really difficult decisions together like we decided to promote things like that so that we could sell them so that they'd have something to ship when they reopen. And then the other thing that we did, because I was determined as hard as it was not to cancel anything. That was great because so many yeah. people didn't do that. We salvaged so many things by being really, really supportive of one another. So we, we everything that was cut and stitched, we did as a pre-order and then sold it when they reopened. It wasn't at, at a value, but we, we took a cut and they did and we made it work. And then the other thing is we repurposed a lot of the materials. We pivoted completely. Like everything was going into stay at home. Everybody wanted to be warm and cozy. Remember all those, those emotions, you know, like, so we, we took the materials and we changed, we redesigned. We took everything that we could with everything that they had on hand and repurposed it. 
and then you know and it had to evolve i think that was the hardest thing that i've ever had to do wow that is that is a big girl pity mo and that's that like really that's is. so impressive and that's a testament to who you are because that's yeah. you help them through a bad time and you you know stick-to-itiveness and that you pivoted that was amazing and i have to say getting you know being on the other side of it now it was such a meaningful experience it's something that they won't forget and certainly something i won't forget it's finding in the middle of crisis solutions together and and being able to support one another like that i i i just think it the relationships are even stronger and i'm really proud that we were able to do that because it was a very difficult decision to make that's amazing that is that is amazing we always accredit success to a couple of different components we always say marge is 50% delusion <laughs> even like you know unwavering optimism so 50% delusion to 50% determination how would you feel your percentages stack up there are moments that i think it's like 99% determination you know because like you have to fight so hard but i think delusion is a really big part of it too because it's you have to have such leaps of faith that you can yes completely differently i think you need both i would say 50-50 because i'll never forget like trying to have them understand the concept we're going to make samples every day we're going to ship shoes every week you know like to reinvent something this is an industry that hadn't changed forever like there was four collections a year people manufactured that way no one had ever bought small little you know runs and made samples every day so you know at moments i said am i crazy i i'm with you it's true there has to be the little bit of part of delusion you know like there has to be like such faith that because when you're thinking that outside the box there had to be a lot of delusion as well as you know the work so it's it true. paid off it paid off it paid off we don't talk about our age women of a certain age which i know we don't but you were at the second part of your career when you the second part of your life i would like to say in 2014 meaning like you were a grown up i was a grown up lots of experience were you married i have a long term partner we've been together for over 30 years and he yes was so supportive because he's been in the shoe industry um and at volume price points a different part of the shoe industry and was he's my biggest biggest supporter he loves what i do but that's what's impressive because i just also want to say is a lot of women you know sometimes get afraid they've done something before they've had a successful career they've been financially independent and sometimes that they're afraid to branch out on their own we always say we're very entrepreneur real as opposed to like have a business plan do this what real piece of advice could you give somebody i think the most important thing that i found for myself cuz early on in my career you know when vince hired me cuz he went through a lot to get me to move because uh, i i was go i was going through a divorce at that time i think he thought i was playing hard to get in a sense but i was just having a lot of emotional things and wasn't sure that i was up to the job cuz he offered me an amazing job so i i went and i moved to stanford connecticut and there were days there that i wanted to hide under the desk that you're a little scared like that i don't know everything that they think that i know for me it's like that confidence a lot of women especially because i think men fake their way through that but i think a lot of women are afraid to ask a lot of questions and learn because they think that they're supposed to know everything i wish i you know that element of confidence i think that if we can instill it, it's okay like when you're starting or when you're doing something new that you can ask questions and in fact it's really important 
I think that's one of the things that is having, you know, finding the mentors in your life to ask the questions and never being afraid. Like, I think it's a, it's a position of strength, not weakness to being confident enough to ask the questions. I agree. And that, like, I think that, you know, it's okay for me not to know everything, you know, like, the, and, but I think that comes with time. The biggest thing I can advise anyone starting in business is find the people that you respect to ask questions. Don't be afraid. And it's okay not to learn everything. And also really essential, it's okay to pivot too. Something isn't working, don't be so stubborn. Pivot, it's all right. Even if their opinion is different from mine, I, I think it's important to ask questions because I think that you can learn even from that. Like what, you know, they think this, it might make you look at something in a different way. Those are all very valid. Yes. I think super important. And when I think that's true, that's hard with women. I think you're right. Men fake it. And women get it right. So that was great. And I also think that that helps women who do launch businesses at a later date to be successful because you have built some confidence. And it is, um, it, you are feeling more in your lane. Like there is like a second win situation. And it's, it is interesting, the same advice applies to every business it's fashion food food yep anything and you know i think the other thing that's really important is for all of us whatever it is food fashion to find something you're passionate about that's why i had to do this i would have felt that it was a big hole in my life not to have done this i've been in the workshop that i told you about in monticatine tiny 10 people work there remember i'm standing there and i hear that buzz, you know, the buzz of working like this, you know, like, and people are in this space and I can see all the shoes there on the line and I can, I can hear the hammer as they're tacking everything to the last and the, the machine and the singing. And to know that I was a part of that, that they can continue to perform their craft and I can stand in that space and I'm a little part of, you know, continuing that type of habit just makes me feel so good. Because to me, it's an art form, the way that they do things. It's like something that's been learned for generations. And so if M. Jamie would like to do tours. Uh, I know, okay, I know, a little all this. Sign us up. Because I know, I love magical. it. I love the way you speak about it. It's so romantic. Norina, oh. I know, Montepitini, <laughs> and everything else sounds magnificent. You know, let us know. I know, my husband wants to get a place in Florence, actually. That's, that's his goal. I said, Joe, let's get a beach house. He goes, I'm not getting a beach house. We're getting an apartment in Florence. I said, okay, fine. Okay. I'll take it. That's a great compromise. I'll take that, too. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Though I'm like, why not in Capri? <laughs> Well, it's very near Florence. It's a wonderful place where I spend my summer. It's called Forte di Marmi. Yes, Forte di Marmi. I know. I'm familiar. I'm familiar, actually. It's really, I'm going there in June. It's beautiful. Yeah, well, so, well, we need to just be in Italy, that, wherever it is. There's no bad parts. No. Okay, that's what I have to amazing. tell Joe. I have to tell Joe. But he just loves to be like on the Arno. He loves to be in that area. He just loves to walk around. Joe is all about the pasta. Non-stop eating. I know Florence is now, you know, they're more steaky, but he's just all about the pasta. He's a beast. Well, thank you so much, thank Maria, you. for coming on. This was magnificent. I, I just love hearing you speak and the passion, the way you speak. And your company is amazing and your shoes are magnificent. And I'm just so excited to see everything else that you'll be doing. And you've inspired so many just coming on here. So thank you. So could you just tell everybody where they can find you? Yes, they can find us mjemmy.com on instagram too yes yes and mjemmy uh, yeah on okay. instagram 
and on Twitter. Great. Thank you so, so Thank much. Thank you so much. Thanks. It was beyond a pleasure. Maria was just magnificent. I loved everything about her. I love that she built a business with such passion and integrity. And even through the toughest times through COVID, she saw that as an opportunity to support the relationships that she built. And it is so... Her whole business is built around relationship and passion. And and, these, and she just felt like it was a hole in her life if she didn't start this company with these artisans that just loves this business. It's, yeah. not, it's not about the money. It's not about anything else. It's just she had to do this for her soul. And that's what I love, the passion about the business. Yeah, she's had an incredible career, incredibly Working successful. Working for, you know, Bileen's Rulala when it started. It's funny. Vince I remember Kaluta. Rulala starting so Me too. Because I had just started with you. I know. I want everybody to follow M. Jemmy on Instagram. Check out their amazing shoes, Lexi's favorite pump. Oh, treat yourself to a pair of shoes. You yes, and by the way, disappointed. it's better to have a few amazing things than a ton of shit. Just <laughs> yeah, Well, my cameo pumps are probably in their fifth or sixth year. And homework also... Uh, seek out a local cobbler. Yes, a good cobbler. We have an amazing cobbler here uh, where I live. And I love him. And I just maintain, maintain your pieces, people. That's right. Take care of yourself and your pieces and feel inspired to go after your passion today. Yes. You can find me at The Real Margaret Josephs. You can find me at The Life of Mrs. B. And every two weeks, we have episodes on a Wednesday. So every other Wednesday at Caviar Dreams Tuna Fish Budget, everywhere you find your podcast. We are the same place on Instagram and YouTube. Yes. Keep dreaming. Keep dreaming. Caviar dreamers. dreamers. And just know we'll judge you by your shoes. Yeah. Ciao. Ciao.